There's a spirit at Bryan Health, a passion that says we can make it better, stronger, to raise our kids, to build our future, to move forward together. It's time for another Bryan Health podcast. Here's Melanie Cole. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths among men and women combined. However, there are tests that can actually prevent or detect colon cancer at its earliest stages. My guest today is Dr. David Newton. He's a gastroenterologist with Gastroenterology Specialties. Dr. Newton, tell us about the current state of colon cancer today. What is the prevalence and are you seeing an increase or a decrease in occurrence? You know, overall, we're seeing a, a decrease in the incidence of both colon cancer occurrence and then also deaths related to colon cancer. There is one demographic, one age group, where we're seeing an increased rate of incidence in colon cancer-related um, deaths, and that is individuals under the age of 50. And, and the thought behind that is that for, for the longest time, we've started our colon cancer screening at the age of 50 and not before then. Um, so we're seeing a, a small increase in the incidence of individuals with colon cancer under the age of 50. What are the risk factors for colon cancer? Is there a genetic component? Is it hereditary? Is it diet-related? Tell us about some of the factors that contribute to it. Absolutely. There's a small proportion of colon cancers that are related to genetic syndromes, such as Lynch syndrome uh, or uh, polyposis syndrome. So that's a minority of patients. There's definitely a genetic component to it. We know that individuals with uh, first-degree relatives under the age of 60 who are impacted with colorectal cancer have a significantly increased risk of colorectal cancer themselves, and therefore we recommend starting colon cancer screening at an earlier age. Um, we do know that uh, colon cancer incidence and death has increased in men more so than women. Roughly 1 in 22 men will be diagnosed with colon cancer during their lifetime uh, compared to 1 in 24 women during their lifetime. As far as lifestyle choices, we know that tobacco smoking as well as alcohol use, obesity, the metabolic syndrome, so things like diabetes, hypertension, and cholesterol all increase the risk of colorectal cancer as well. We think the Western diet, so a low-fiber diet, a high-fat diet with red meats, also increases the risk of colorectal cancer. What signs and symptoms, because we're going to talk about colonoscopy and tests available, but what signs and symptoms might send somebody to a gastroenterologist in the first place. People see bleeding. Sometimes, Dr. Newton, they see blood in the toilet, but hemorrhoids do that too. So when is it time to get into the gastroenterologist? And then we'll speak about colonoscopy. Absolutely. And you know, it's important. Uh, a significant number of, of patients with colon cancer, especially early on in their disease, don't specifically have symptoms. And I know we'll talk about the importance of screening, but that's that's why that you know, getting screened for colorectal cancer is so important. In those individuals who haven't been screened and do experience symptoms, the things that we notice that are most concerning to us is, is rectal bleeding. While, yes, commonly seen with outlet disorders such as hemorrhoids, um, is, is commonly seen with colorectal cancer as well. A change in bowel habits, so somebody who's routinely having regular bowel movements and becomes constipated um, would, could be a red flag. Also, the change in caliber of the stool. Some individuals, if you start to lose weight unnecessarily, we're obviously concerned as well. So we take kind of the overall presentation, um, but if a patient, an individual notices changes in their digestive health, it's important to talk to your doctor to get the evaluation that's necessary because we do know that catching, and similar to with other types of cancer, if we catch colon cancer early, the survival rates are much, much better. 
Then let's talk about the tests that can be done to detect and diagnose colon cancer. Speak about colonoscopy and what are the current screening guidelines? When do you get your first one? Absolutely. And this is a, a, a evolving topic this year. So in the, for the longest time, last several years, um, the, the guidelines have stated that average risk individuals, so those are individuals without a family history of colon cancer, without um, other chronic digestive diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease, that they start average risk screening at the age of 50. Um, African-Americans who have the highest rate of mortality and lowest survival when compared to other racial groups are recommended to start at the age of 45. So up until, oh, the middle of the year in 2018, those have been the guidelines from from all of the different uh, societies. Um, The American Cancer Society in the middle of 2018 uh, made a qualified recommendation to start average risk screening in all individuals starting at the age of 45. And their reason for that is what we touched on earlier, that the uh, incidence of uh, colon cancer occurrence as well as death is increasing in those under the age of 50. So now we're starting to see a shift where we might see more organizations making that recommendation to start at the age of 45. Where in Lincoln can you have your colonoscopy performed? There's several different uh, places that we can have this performed. Gastroenterology specialties, we have a, an ambulatory surgical center or an endoscopy center called Lincoln Endoscopy Center here in Lincoln uh, where these can be performed. They can also also be performed at any of the three hospitals in town, the two Bryan hospitals as well as uh, St. Elizabeth's. We have an additional uh, joint venture with uh, Bryan Health called Lincoln Digestive Health Center, which is on the fifth floor over at Bryan West Hospital, uh, which is another facility where we will uh, perform endoscopic procedures, including colonoscopy. Dr. Newton, why is it important to go to your physician for a colonoscopy and not do one of the home kits that we've seen in the media? And as far as insurance, now colonoscopy is part of a well-preventive visit, right? I mean, insurance covers it at 100%. So there's several different components to that. So for if we look at the multi-specialties task force in colorectal cancer, which is a group of professional organizations, gastroenterologists, they tier their recommendations on which specific test to do. And and the first tier includes a well-prepped colonoscopy should be offered first. If that is refused, then the patient should be offered fit testing, which is essentially a small test that evaluates for blood in the stool. In 2014, a product came on the market that looked at fit testing in addition to DNA testing. And since that time, they've they've aggressively marketed this, not only an alternative to fit testing, but as an alternative to colonoscopy. From our, you know, I, I think in general, if we're able to prevent a cancer, I think that's better than detecting cancer. With colonoscopy, we're able to detect and prevent cancer with prevention coming by the removal of these precancerous polyps. When we look specifically at the DNA testing that's now uh, widely available, you know, the, the sensitivity for that is 93%, so they'll catch 93% of cancers, which overall is, is, is a good number. But when we look at, it, look at it closer and we're thinking about a, a diagnosis such as colon cancer, during the study that got, got this product approved, they missed 1 in 13 colon cancers, and they missed roughly 60% of, of larger precancerous polyps in the right colon that we know um, through studies, contributes to 20 to 30% of the overall numbers of cancers that are diagnosed in this country. Now, colonoscopy, while not perfect and some small lesions may be missed, is as technology continues to get better, um, is, is effective at identifying those and removing those specific polyps. We know just with the recent study that was released, there are protective benefits of a, of a colonoscopy that extend out through 10 years if that initial study is 
negative. So the decreased risk overall of cancer-related death um, carries out through that 10-year interval. Now, when it comes to insurance coverage, because I think that does play an important role, since, oh, I think roughly around the year 2000, Medicare beneficiaries were able to get uh, preventative health care services covered at 100%. That includes a colonoscopy. Um, in 2010, with the Affordable Care Act, um, they extended those provisions to all uh, Obamacare-compliant health plans so that colon cancer screening was covered 100% by, your, by the insurance carrier. Now, if colonoscopy is the, the test that is chosen for colon cancer screening, that's covered 100%. If we would pick either a FIT test or a FIT DNA test, that test will be covered under the screening benefit. But if those tests are positive, the next step is a colonoscopy. I don't know why anyone wouldn't get their colonoscopy except for the fact, Dr. Newton, that people are afraid of the prep. The test is so quick, they wake up and say, when are you starting? You say, I'm done. But the prep is what seems to scare a lot of people off. Why is that? What's going on with the preps these days? And are some smaller amounts coming down the pike, do you think? Absolutely. You know, I think this is, we hear this from patients all the time about the fear of the prep and, and, and going through this. And, and everybody's in the back of their mind, they're thinking this gallon jug of salty water that they have to drink and they'll be on the toilet for the next 24 hours. You know, times have changed over the last several years. There's multiple small volume preps uh, that are available on the market. The, the specific prep that we use in our center is, you know, roughly 25 ounces of, of actual laxative solution mixed with the, the, the clear liquid of choice by the patient's. When we see individuals the next morning prior to their procedure and ask them how the prep went, most are in shock at how straightforward and easy it actually was. And, and it sounds like, you know, from people that have done the, the big um, four-liter prep in the past and have now done the smaller volume prep, it, the, the difference is pretty significant. So the prep is, is much easier, and I don't think that uh, alone should discourage somebody from getting a colonoscopy. I think one important caveat with this, too, is that you know, we've, we have these non-invasive tests, which I do think serve an important purpose. If somebody is hesitant to get a colonoscopy, but would be willing to be to, to get that exam if they're nudged along by a positive uh, non-invasive test, I think that's the, that's the perfect situation. If we have an individual who is 100% against getting a colonoscopy and not get a colonoscopy performed, no matter what, there's no sense in doing any screening test in those individuals, purely because all all roads, all non-invasive tests, if they're positive, need to be followed up by a colonoscopy. True. All roads lead to the colonoscopy eventually, like you say, if those tests are positive. And one of the things about colonoscopy that makes it so amazing is that it's being called a preventive tool because you see these polyps in there, you take them out while you're in there, and then they go to pathology. Tell us a little bit about polyps. What is it that you're looking for if there's a good prep involved, and what do polyps typically mean? So polyps are common, and we'll, you know, probably over 50% of the time we'll identify at least some abnormality with the polypoid growth in the colon. A, a polyp is, uh, there's several different types of polyps. There's benign polyps, which uh, have no clinical consequence, and then there are the polyps that we want, we want to identify and remove. Those are precancerous polyps. The most common of those are tubular adenomas. Um, they can range in size from a couple millimeters to several centimeters. They can be incredibly flat, sometimes even depressed and difficult to identify to a pedunculated polyp, which has a long stock um, and kind of a ball-like appearance on the end. All of those different 
attributes make identification of polyps and removal of polyps difficult in some cases. And we know that as we discussed, the right-sided colon polyps contribute to 30% of the colon cancers. Those are the ones that are difficult to identify, difficult um, to remove. That Those specific ones, the flat ones or white, is so important to have a good, adequate colonoscopy prep um, going into this. If, if there's some adherent stool on that side of the colon, we, we may miss those small polyps. Um, the majority of time, if the prep is adequate, we can you know, identify and remove uh, remove those polyps, especially as the polyps get bigger and higher risk. Once they are removed, we send those to the pathologist. They'll look under the microscope and tell us the specific features and give us the diagnosis. The tubular adenoma, like I talked about, is the most common precancerous polyp. We're looking for other changes, more advanced features, such as villus features or dysplasia, which we know are higher risk polyps. Uh, based on that information and then the size of the polyp, uh, that will determine the, the recommended surveillance interval for the next colonoscopy exam. It's important to know that if precancerous polyps are removed at any point in a person's life, they really um, do not qualify for the non-invasive test and, and, and should undergo colonoscopy uh, for surveillance purposes indefinitely. As we wrap up, can diet help to prevent? You mentioned it a little bit before in the Western diet. So just kind of reiterate for us what we can do, lifestyle modifications, things that we can do to hopefully prevent colon cancer and the importance of getting our colonoscopy at the recommended times. So one of the big risks and what we're trying to figure out why those uh, rates of colon cancer are, is increasing in those younger individuals less than the age of 50 is what we're finding is, is obesity is playing a major role in this. So maintaining a healthy weight, um, as we see with all other cancers, uh, tobacco use and, and cessation of all tobacco use is important. Uh, use of alcohol in moderation, um, as we know, excess can increase your risk for colon cancer as well. A high-fiber diet is, I think, beneficial in, in most aspects of, of digestive health. Uh, there are some um, suggestions that a high-fiber diet can help to lower that risk of uh, colon cancer. All those things being said, there's no magic diet. There's no magic pill that can prevent colon cancer 100%. Getting the screening performed um, in a safe, effective manner with colonoscopy is the best way to prevent being diagnosed with colon cancer in the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Newton, for coming on, sharing your incredible expertise about colon cancer, colonoscopy, and the important screening tool that can help to prevent colon cancer in the first place. If you're still nervous about your colonoscopy, watch a patient as they prepare for and go through the actual colonoscopy procedure at brianhealth.org slash colonoscopy. That's brianhealth.org slash colonoscopy. It's a lot easier than you think and could save your life. This is Brian Health Podcast. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.